Welcome to So You Want to Be a Witch, the podcast for soul-centered entrepreneurs and the people who love them. Welcome back to So You Want to Be a Witch. I am your host, Sarah M. Chapel, and let's talk about pricing. So when you are setting out to create a new product or service or offer, how do you go about pricing? How do you decide what you're going to charge for something? If you're like a lot of the customers that I have helped, chances are you begin with something else in mind, someone else in mind. You probably start with what you think you should charge based on what you've seen other people charge or what you think people will pay for it. Does that sound familiar? If so, you are in good company. We tend to start our pricing in what I'm going to go ahead and say is the most non-holistic way possible by looking at all of the external factors in order to determine a price that we are assuming is fair to the market or is what people will actually invest in. One of my favorite memes that goes around business land is of the solid gold paperclip that Tiffany's makes. The paperclip is like over $1,000 or something. It's a little like weird. I don't know what one would do with that. And I love a good objet, but okay. There are people who will pay a thousand plus dollars for a paperclip. Tiffany's is a major company. They wouldn't make it. They wouldn't still be selling it if it didn't have a market. So what can we take from the paperclip? Well, what you think people will pay for something is actually the shittiest way to price. Now, this doesn't mean that we don't take into consideration what the market will bear, right? What what, what is actually the market price of something. And it doesn't mean we don't take people into account in our pricing. Depending on who you want to help and how you want to help them, what they will pay, that matters a lot, especially for offers that are at different price points or geared towards people having different kinds of experiences financially or at different life stages. But where should your pricing start? What is the first question you need to ask yourself when pricing something new? It's not, what will someone pay for it? It's not what was the market price for this. It's also not even how much time have I put into this or how much effort have I put in. The best question to ask first step is what do I need to make? I know, right? Ooh, does that make you feel a little squirmy? What do I need to make? I feel like we only like so often we don't even want to talk about this. I bring this up in my scalable offer workshop in Holistic Business Academy and in my other programs. And there's something really interesting that happens is that a lot of small business owners actually don't have any financial goals. They don't actually know how much money they need to make in a given month or a given week or a given day or with a given product to hit their financial goals. Now, I think one of the first things here is that sometimes when we are starting a new business or growing a new business, even if we're full time in it, there's part of us that still has kind of one foot out the door. We almost don't believe that our business could actually support us fully financially and maybe even help us move from that survive to thrive mode, actually get us in a place where we're making enough money to to do the things we've always dreamed of, to support the causes and the people we've always wanted to, to, you know, I don't know, like have nice stuff and drink more seltzer. That's, that's my, seltzer is my personal splurge. We don't give ourselves the space to even dream that. So we don't set goals. We, we kind of act from this place of, oh, I'll just see what I can get, you know, or, or that, it, having a goal almost maybe then it is bad, right? What if we have a goal and we don't meet it? Your business, <laughs> y'all have heard me say this before, is a business because it makes money. 
Making money is one of the primary goals of a business. If you don't want to make money, you can do other stuff. You can do the thing you love for free. You can do it as a hobby. You can trade with people. You don't have to have a business. But a business's goal is to generate revenue. And as a small holistic business owner, for most of you, my guess is that goal is to pay yourself, right? Is to support your lifestyle, is to pay your rent and your medical care and for your kids' shoes and your food and yes, your seltzer. <laughs> that money has a purpose. That's one of the reasons that you're a holistic business owner. It's not just money to make more money. It's money to support your life. It's money to to support yourself into retirement. It's money to have a safe place to live. It's 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 so many things to give back into your community to to dream new things, to create new cool stuff. So why don't you have a financial goal? Why don't you know how much money you need to make every month? Some of you probably do, and you're like, no, I got that. But if you don't, first step, I need you to add up all your bills for the month. All your business expenses and all of your personal expenses. And then I need you to add, (laughs) depending on how, I'm not, not a tax expert, you can talk to one, I highly recommend it, talking to an accountant or a CPA. You're probably going to need to add somewhere between, depending on how you're paying yourself, 15 and 30% on top of that for tax. Let's go with 30. That's probably fair if you're self-employed or have an LLC and are, are filing as a solo entrepreneur, okay? That is your minimum financial goal in your business every month. It's all of the expenses plus tax. That's your minimum goal. Now you can set bigger goals. I recommend that you do. I actually think that if we approach goals from a holistic lens, they become something exciting that lets us think in new ways and problem solve creatively. If we've never made a certain amount of money in our business or even in our lives, then having a goal like that challenges us to to envision something new and to, to create new maps of how to get there. It's not really about making that goal or making that certain amount of money. It's about what do we learn in the process? I set goals all the time that I don't meet. I meet like none of my goals. It's great. (laughs) It encourages me to think creatively and to come up with new ways to grow my business. But you need a financial goal. That is the first step. Because once you have that goal, let's start with a monthly goal. Now you know how much money you need to make. Weird, right? If you have a goal, you actually know how much money you need to make. If you know how much money you need to make, then you can answer our initial question when you're creating a new offer, product, or service, how much do I need to make? This is a really simple calculation. If you know you need to make $5,000 a month and your offer is $100, let's say you have a $100 tarot reading. Let's do the math. I know I should be able to do that in my head, but I am tired. You need to do 50 readings a month. Cool. Now you have a goal. But what if doing 50 readings a month is impossible for you? Or that sounds terrible? Or your audience size is at a place where that's not really a reasonable goal quite yet? If you know you need to make $5,000 and your offer is a tarot reading, should you charge $100 if that's not going to cover your bills? No. (laughs) You either should charge more and do fewer readings Or maybe think of an additional offer that can make up some of the balance. When we approach our pricing through this lens, we're actually ensuring that what we're making is directly tied to the outcome that we want, in this case, our revenue. If you are someone who is offering um, like mini sessions or something for $20 a pop, do the math. 
How many sessions do you have to do to make $5,000 a month? It's a lot. It's a lot of sessions. It doesn't mean you can't do them, but depending on the size of your audience and your reach and the, yeah, the number of people who know about you, consistently doing that many $20 sessions a month, it's likely to be challenging and that's okay. If you do that session or you come up with an offer that is, that is $100 a month, like that's the value of it. We'll talk about that in just a second. Then you could do fewer, right? 50. That's like 12 and a half readings a week. That sounds reasonable, potentially, depending on your audience size and reach. If your audience is really small, though, it might be really hard for us to hit that $5,000 mark with a $100 offer. It might make more sense to put together an offer, a product suite, or service that has a higher value. Maybe it's a package of some kind. Maybe it's a mentorship or an educational program. Maybe it's a course. If you know where you're trying to go, then you can reverse engineer your pricing based on the thing that matters, first of all, the most, which is what you need to make. I'm going to insert my little caveat here from like business land. This is why you see so many business coaches tell you just to raise your prices. A lot of times, yes. And I know my audience, I know you all pretty well. Most of you are undercharging. So you will often hear me try to encourage you to raise your prices. But it's very popular with a lot of business coaches, especially in the online space, to have people go into hyper premium offers where you're charging two, five, ten thousand dollars or more for some kind of package. And I think premium offers are fine. My one on one coaching is a premium offer. I've also been doing this for over 15 years. You don't have to rush to the deep end of offering something that's extremely expensive. I bet for a lot of you that actually wouldn't work. That's not aligned with your work, it's probably not aligned with the people you're trying to help. And it may not be aligned with your level of skill yet. But the reason coaches tell you to do that is because if you're looking to make $5,000 a month and each of your packages is $1,000 a month, well, then you only need to sell five. It's probably easier to sell five of something than to sell 50, right? That's where that advice comes from. It makes them look good and it makes you look good. It's easier to sell fewer things, even at a higher price point. It's far easier for, for most folks once you get comfortable with actually asking for something at that level. So if your package or your offer is extremely expensive, well, it's easy to hit those revenue goals. But I know most of you, having just a one high-end, super high-end offer probably isn't a good fit. You probably want to do something that's a lower cost offer as well, want to have things that support people at different ranges. And this is why knowing what you actually need to make matters. Because now we can almost start to paint a picture of how these different pieces come together. If your readings are $100, and based on what you're seeing right now, let's say maybe you can expect to do five readings a week, right? If we do five readings a week at $100, that's $500 a week, and we times that by four, that's $2,000 a month. How are we gonna make up that extra $3,000? Maybe you create a course, something that's a scalable offer, and get people in that. Maybe you do offer a higher-end package or mentorship or training program. That sounds fantastic. But the key is that you have to know how much you need to make in order to price appropriately. Because when you're pricing everything based off of what you expect people will pay, remember our paperclip, <laughs> chances are your own needs are not being met. And it's not accessible pricing. It's not sustainable pricing. And it's definitely, it's really not even market price if it doesn't pay you. 
So sure, you're like, okay, cool, Sarah, but like, I don't actually think I can just charge $5,000 for one thing (laughs) if what I need is to make $5,000. No, there is market value, okay? We look at this second, if not even third, I'll say, (laughs) when we're looking at pricing inside my programs. First step, what do you personally need to make? And again, that goal if you don't want to replace your entire business income or, you know, you don't have to have that, but I, let's just assume that you want to be full-time in your business or you are full-time in your business, your baseline revenue goal needs to be all of your business expenses and all of your personal expenses plus tax. That is your base. That's not even a goal. That's like what you, that's like, that's it. That's what you have to hit every month. Okay. Like our business base is not a goal because if we don't hit that, we have a fucking problem. <laughs> it means we can't pay our bills. But once you've done that, then you can start to look out into the marketplace more. You can look around and say, okay, what are other people charging? And I want to be super clear, like going to Etsy and like seeing what people are charging for something that doesn't count. <laughs> Etsy's a race to the bottom price wise. Look, you can look at your peers. You can ask your colleagues. If you're in something like the Holistic Business Academy, you can ask, you know, your peers or ask a coach for feedback. Being mindful of the agendas I mentioned earlier. <laughs> and start to get a sense of what people are charging. For an hour-long live tarot reading, I see everything nowadays from $80 an hour to probably like $350 an hour. That's a pretty wide range. You see what I don't see? $20 an hour, right? When we look at the marketplace, we're generally going to see low, medium to high tiers. We're going to see, you know, yes, regular paper clips for whatever, 20 cents a paper clip to your solid gold <laughs> paper clip from Tiffany's. If you know how much money you need to make, and then you look at the marketplace, now you can assess yourself a little bit more more accurately. If you are a beginner in your field, you might find that you are on the lower to middle tier in terms of pricing. But this is also why you'll see different pricing amongst people who have similar skill levels. Maybe one person does readings full time. Maybe they sell their product full time. So being at a lower rate actually doesn't impact their overall revenue. Maybe somebody is not able to do readings all the time. Um, maybe that, you know, that doesn't work for them or they're still doing something else part-time and it costs more for them to run their business at that point. Remember, you don't know what's behind people's pricing. You don't know why they chose that. They might've just like, like, you know, written down a bunch of random numbers and just circled one, you know, with their eyes closed. But if we go to the market after we clarify our goals, we can make a stronger choice And make sure that we're not just getting dragged to the bottom thinking that's going to give us more business. That's also a fallacy, by the way, um, that like having lower prices is automatically going to give you more business. That's that's not true. Pricing is a conversation. Pricing is is information. And when you are, are talking about how to price something, what it's going to be compared to in the mind of your customer is far more important than the price itself. That's a whole other sales psychology conversation. There's one final piece here we didn't talk about. This is actually what I usually look at, look at second, um, but I guess we're going out of order today. And that's the actual value of what you provide. Now, I want to clear, this is the value of what you provide, like the thing you make or do. This is not your value. I hate this, like charge your worth stuff. Like that doesn't make any sense. Like you can't charge your worth. You're a human. <laughs> like Humans are, are, are intrinsically worthy, whether we believe it or not. But your work has worth. Your work has value, right? 
And we want to start to separate out your pricing actually from your value as a human and look at the value of the transformation or the result or the experience that you provide for people. Now, I don't really know why people are super into the gold paperclip from Tiffany's. Again, I like a good objet and I'm a little bit like, eh, not for me. Also, I, I mean, it is like $1,000 for a paperclip. But presumably, people who are investing in that are getting something that they perceive to be high value. First of all, gold as a precious metal has a perceived high value. It actually I mean, it has a high value on the marketplace, right? There's a market price for gold itself. Tiffany's as a brand, uh, maybe not as prestigious as it once was, but still viewed as a, a higher tier brand. So there's a certain level of prestige in having something from that brand. I assume that the primary thing is a level of enjoyment, joy, or even um, probably humor <laughs> that you get from looking at your desk and seeing that you have a solid gold paperclip. Like there's probably some element of like, yeah, of just mirth <laughs> at having a solid gold paperclip. I feel that way about stuff I have that is that is not solid gold paperclips. Like I increasingly have little fidget toys on my desk and they give me a lot of a lot of joy. That customer for that paperclip sees value in all of those things, in that brand image, in being the kind of person who owns a gold paperclip, in the, the silliness of having something like that, and the, the prestige and the luxury. That has high value for them. In addition to the actual like market cost of something like gold, right, which, which has a value, a market price and a value as well. Your customers value things. They have an internal and external value choice, value mechanism. There's what they internally value, and then there's what they externally value in the marketplace when they say things next to each other, when they are making buying decisions. And that's the value we're really interested in here. What does your thing do for them? What does it give them? How does it help them? If you make something that will last for decades, let's say you, you make clothes or you're a leather worker or you're a craftsperson of some kind and you make something that will last for decades, it never, like it, it's not going to fall apart. That has really high value to your customer. That has really high value for what they are, like what they're getting. They buy it from you once and they get it for years, that's worth a lot. In fact, you probably can't adequately charge for that level of value, for how worth that object is, how much they get out of it, what their, the cost per wear, <laughs> the cost per use is, because it would be astronomically high for the object itself. But that's really valuable. If you can say, I make something that will last for generations, that's really valuable. Versus, and I'm not going to get into like best fashion land right now, but versus buying a $20 dress somewhere that might not last. And I understand there's a lot of nuance in terms of class and access, but in terms of your own pricing, right? If you make something that is, is like double stitched and hemmed and like reinforced and like made with fabrics that aren't going to, you know, tear at the seams, that's more valuable financially than something that you're going to be able to wear twice. Okay. Same with services. What is the value of what you provide? What becomes possible for that person afterwards? As a business coach, this is really simple. I can actually quantify my effect on people. If they do all the things I tell them to do, 
I can make a pretty solid prediction, as a, especially in my one-on-one -on -one work and in my group coaching, on what kind of return on their investment they'll get immediately and what kind of return on investment they'll get over time. Now, that's not true for all things, right? I think right now, like my therapist who just raised his prices, I was like, good for you, therapist. Also, ah, right? It's like, I don't want to pay more, but I value what he provides for me. The possible transformation that we're working towards together is, is priceless. It's priceless. And there's a market price that keeps him from charging so, so, so much more, even though he provides something of immense value. So we want to look at all three of these pieces together. What you need to make, and please start there. Oh, I implore you, <laughs> remembering that your business is not sustainable or accessible if you are not cared for. We need, we need you to be, be able to pay your bills and take care of yourself and plan for your future. You, you deserve that. Like You're allowed to care for yourself. It's okay. Put your oxygen mask on first. Then you can look at the marketplace and the value of the work. What are other people charging? What does it seem like the market will bear? That's a little bit of, you know, a touch and go. And my honest opinion is that the market pricing actually matters far, far less than we think. Even for physical products, I see this all the time. It depends on who you're going to serve and how clearly you communicate that value. And then we need to look at the value of what you're making. What is the transformation that it provides? What does it make possible for people? What is that worth, right? And whether you are doing something that is, is tangible or not. There's another layer to this. And we've been talking a little bit about, I think today, mostly I mentioned physical goods and kind of one-on-one -on -one work. We haven't even gotten a chance to talk about scalable offers more explicitly. And we might have to save that for another episode. But a scalable offer is generally one where you get to provide a lot of value, but at a lower rate because it's no longer tied to your time. So that's something you can put in the, the back of your brain as well. If you are a service provider or a creator or a maker is asking that question, are there things that I can do at scale? My, one of my examples, of course, being teaching, right? Teaching, writing a book, the ultimate scalable offer. But that affects pricing too. There's a higher perceived value in general for smaller and more intimate offers. One-on-one -on -one work costs more than seeing somebody in a group session. So all of those things come into play when we're talking about products and services and how we are pricing them. The reason I really want to underline this right now, especially as we're heading the holiday season and are kind of coming out of uh, Black Friday, Cyber Monday, capitalist doom zone, is that none of this includes discounting. Why? You want to run a sale from a place of abundance and joy and you are excited about it, do it. I do that sometimes. It feels super fun. I love it. But your prices, if they are real and true and built on what you are trying to create in your business and what you need, then you need to be able to stand behind them and believe that they are fair as they are. That that is what your cost is. And this kind of pricing, when we take these three pieces into account, is sustainable. It honestly is rarely overpriced. I very rarely see people go through all three of these steps and all end up in a place where their pricing is egregious. And it also means that your pricing will not be underpriced. So if you do end up deciding to run a sale at some point or to offer discounts or be able to offer sliding scale or scholarships, you're doing that from a place of being fully supported yourself. So I actually think that now, the end of the year, 
is a great time to reassess your pricing because I bet a lot of you are looking at those financial goals. Some of you have had your best years ever in 2020. Some of you have had big transitions and big challenges when it comes to your business and, you know, everything else. (laughs) Take a look at your pricing now before the end of the year, before you get like excited and think that, oh, you'll run a sale and then hit your revenue goal or, oh, you're going to make something new to hit that goal or to push you over the edge or whatever it is. Take a look at your pricing first and ask, does this pricing, first of all, actually support me? Because your business is not holistic if it does not take you into account. I hope this episode helps you all think about pricing a little bit more complexly, with a little bit more complexity, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> I know, but in a way that I sincerely hope is, is transformative, is supportive, and gives you the space to ensure that you are taking all of these pieces into account instead of just Googling what should a reading cost or what should a session cost and, you know, making it up. <laughs> all right, y'all, I will see you next week. Bye for now.